Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool. Um... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of pitch it as a surprise guest um, because I just sort of asked you to sort of... That's okay, that's fine. I'm happy to be the surprise yeah. guest. Because I, I just asked you to sort of introduce yourself uh, for the tape. Right. Yeah, I'm... This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the Metric podcast. I'm John. Something you might not know about me is that despite being, you know, despite being on the long, slow, declined middle age by this point, I really, really like Christmas. I get quite childlike about it. It's just, you know, it's, I just really like the lights and the food and, the, you know, the excuse for the parties and so on. It's, you know, I'm, I'm very big on it as a time of year is what I'm saying. So I've been thinking for, for some time since quite a long way before Christmas about what we could do on the sort of Christmas special with this podcast. If you've been listening for a while, you remember last year that Steph and I did a, a, a Christmas special in which we kind of, well, she, she wrote me a, she wrote me a quiz. That was fun. The city metric Christmas quiz. So I was thinking, what can we do? What can we do this year? Who would be the, the perfect person to get onto the Skylines Christmas special? And I got it. I knew exactly who it was and I asked them if they're up for an interview and they were and it was all arranged. The problem was, this isn't the only idea I have for a Christmas special, I realise now. There's actually, there's a couple of other things I've been thinking of, of using, not really sort of Christmas specials as such, but, you know, guest appearances I did elsewhere that I was going to put out over the Christmas period, and it was a bit quieter, and sort of keeping them in reserve for that. I thought, well, obviously we can't do a Christmas special without, without Stephanie, so I got that in the diary. And then suddenly I got more podcasts uh, planned for December, and and none for the last week of November, uh, all of which is a very long way round of saying this. What you're about to hear is is my original Christmas interviewee, which is due to a, a scheduling pile up, uh, which follows a scheduling blank, uh, is, is coming out rather earlier than I expected. But you know, I'm, so I'm, I just got really, really excited about having having interviewed this person. I literally, I went to the other end of the country to do this interview. You know, I I spent a day. It took me six trains that day. Anyway, you probably if you if you haven't read the show notes, because who who reads the show notes? If you haven't read the show notes. You're probably wondering who that is, so I'll let you introduce yourself. I'm Councillor Sue Jeffrey. I'm a leader of Red Car and Cleveland Council, Labour leader of Red Car and Cleveland Council, and I was the mayoral candidate for Labour for the Tees Valley. Sadly, you're not the Labour mayor of the Tees Valley, but no. uh, but I mean. It, it, 2020 is that is that on the agenda at all or is it too early to, to... oh it's a bit early to be talking about 2020 I'm still mm. getting over um, mm. 2017 or wherever we are now but I mean I think um, 
you know, it was an interesting experience and there has water gone under the bridge already and there is a lot more water to go under the bridge. So I think we'll we'll see where we are in 2020. I want to kind of have a chat about how, how Ben Houchin is doing and about the region more generally and devolution and so on. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, can I just clarify, did you have any idea that I've accidentally turned you into a, a meme on the internet? I, I, I had not, no idea at all that you turned me into a meme. Is that a good thing? Uh, I, I, I hope so. It's nice. It's like, you know, people... But, uh, you know, it's not really for me to judge, is it? So people seem, people seem enthusiastic and, and disappointed about the, the way the election went. So. Well, that's excellent. Mm. That's excellent. And I'm, I'm, I hope that some of that is about the fact that um, no woman got elected to be a mayor, um, you mm, know, right yeah. across the country. And the fact that I was the only really credible woman candidate. And I think it is a huge deficit. The fact that we haven't got a woman as a... Um, a metro mayor at the moment and something needs to be done about that at the next election so all those women out there i would immediately say have a think about it because there's you know real opportunities it do, it does seem to be a thing with the labor party more generally that it sort of somehow manages not quite to put women in these top positions quite often enough does it uh, it's, it's, it's the, the problem in combined authorities is, is the representative democracy process so inevitably you're finding leaders of councils that are taking leading roles within the combined authorities. It also tends to be very economic development focused. Leaders of local authorities still, unfortunately, are predominantly male. Mm. Economic development, even within cabinet portfolios, what you're finding is primarily um, it's men that they take those positions. So actually for a woman to either be a leader or to have that interest is still fairly far, you know, not, not often the case. I think it's getting better. Uh, there's lots of good women around, people like Judith Blake at Leeds, but we need to be making sure that those people um, are thinking about these really important positions because I think what's been proved over the last few months is that metro mayors are actually making a difference and I think they are certainly going to be the governance model of the future, so we need to be getting in there. So so the point is basically that it's not just a matter of thinking oh, we need women to, to be nominated in these final... You've got to get them the whole way through the process of making sure that there are women more involved at every level so that there are obvious female candidates. Absolutely. And, I mean, there's been a lot of thinking about that as well. I mean, there's a group called Northern Power Women that is about sort of associating with the Northern Powerhouse and trying to ensure that, particularly in the business community, women get their voices heard. But, I mean, there was the Northern Powerhouse conference last year, I think, but I don't think there was a woman in the whole of the lineup for speakers, for example. So, as I say, actually getting women into a position where they can secure places within the structures as they develop because they are representative structures and because they sometimes seem to be so far away from the position the direct election position with the exception of the mayor's offices then that, that that's a real issue so you said you think that metro mayors are making a difference you've always been quite infused about them i think yeah and and also like the the tease valley was the slightly unexpected one to kind of come forward and actually get a deal when when a lot of kind of bigger places like leeds or newcastle didn't make it over that line. Why, why are you a fan of, of that model? Why do you think it, it works? Well, first of all, I've done devolution all my life. I worked um, as chief executive of the Yorkshire Humber Regional Assembly, which was the forerunners of the current devolution deals. And I, I, I worked in regional policy before that. So I've always believed that devolution is the right way from Westminster is the right, right way to enable us to do better business. But here, specifically in the Tees Valley, I think after 
um, the regional assembly set up that went so badly wrong, um, we became very clear that we needed to source an identity for ourselves as Tees Valley and to work together to do that. And there isn't enough of us to fight. So we got to the position where the local authorities and business community through the local enterprise partnership just had to work together because otherwise we just weren't going to go anywhere. So we were were working very well together. The LEP was always a, a partnership body, the local enterprise partnership, always partnership body, always include the local authorities. And then we moved on from there when the devolution deals were on offer to say, yes, this is something we're prepared to take on board because we recognise the risks, but we also recognise very much what the advantages might be of getting involved in the in, in the deals. And I think we've been proved right, to be perfectly honest. So, but why a mayor particularly? Is that just because that was the model on off from central government? Or do you think there was something specific around the idea of an elected figurehead that kind of matters? No, we didn't want a mayor. No, I'm sorry. No. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the reality was we wanted the devolution deal. Right, OK. We didn't want the mayor. And the mayor um, was very much um, a, a, a prerequisite required by the Conservative government model of devolution. So they said, you have got to have a mayor. Now, we said, no, we don't want it. Right from the outset, we said it on a number of occasions. We said, call it something else, because, you know, we've already got a mayor in Middlesbrough. You know, all these sorts of things. But there was, there was, there was no shifting um, the Conservatives in relation to the mayor's position. So, so that came with the deal. And I think um, now that we've actually got a mayor albeit a Conservative one, I think that the devolution deal that we've got that's associated with it is worth having a mayor for. And I also think that um, mayors can, can, can make a difference for areas like ours in terms of giving us a voice, giving us a seat at tables that we wouldn't have otherwise, giving us an opportunity to influence and shape national policy which, which, which is an area of 650,000 people, we, we just wouldn't have got a look in previously. So let's let's talk about the the area. The Tees Valley is, I think, five different boroughs. Is that right? Five, five local authorities. Yes. How how coherent is it? Because it doesn't quite map onto the old Cleveland. It's not quite like if I call it Greater Middlesbrough, I'm probably going to get shouted at. You but are. Like, yeah, but I mean, how to what extent does it feel like a single unit? Well, there was lots of debate um, when 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 the whole idea of the Tees Valley was first um, mooted, and indeed, people still debate. That the whole Tees Valley thing. Basically, it's the four boroughs that were Cleveland County Council, Middlesbrough, Stockton, Redcar and Hartlepool, plus Darlington, which was previously in County Durham. But we're all, we're five unitary authorities. Um, as I say, 650,000 people. I mean, it became very, very clear, for example, when the steelworks closed in 2015, that whilst the majority of people worked at those steelworks came from um, Middlesbrough, Stockton and Redcar and Cleveland, people also came from Hartlepool and from Darlington and the supply chain linked out into those areas as well. So, it, it, you know, that, that it, was, it was a genuine economic area. It's, it's a place where we can feel we can do economic business well and where we can deliver economic growth in a way that is quantifiable and recognisably delivered because we're doing things here. I think that that's the important thing. We can see that we're making a difference. Mm-hmm. I mean, in connectivity terms as well, Darlington is really the gateway into the Tees Valley, so hence we've got some really big plans for Darlington Station, which are really important because if we can open up Darlington Station, what that does is it frees up capacity to enable us to be able to work, to, to move people around um, the Tees Valley much better. So, so, so there's blocks in the system as well. Acknowledge, if you like, the need for better coherence and for the coherence that's working here. To what extent do you think people who live here 
buy into this identity, though? I mean, do they think of themselves as no. teasiders? No, or? no, 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 no. People think of themselves all sorts of different things. Sometimes they, they, they think of themselves as coming from their village or their township. They, some of them, some people, consider themselves to come from Yorkshire. Some people consider themselves to come from Durham. Some people still talk about Cleveland. But we were always very clear that we were not going to have that debate about this because what the Tees Valley was, was um, um, a, a, a functional area that was going to deliver on the devolution deal that was about economic growth, skills, employment, transport, those sorts of things. And it didn't need to appear in anybody's postal address. That wasn't, that wasn't what this was about. What it was about was, it was an area that was enabling us to do good business around the economy and economic growth. I can't remember the exact figures, but as I understand it, turnout in, in the mayoral election last May was not, was not great in this region. 21%. I think it was one of the lower ones, and like yes. none of them were amazing, but no. that, was at, the, that no, was at the lower that was end. I mean, do you think that that might reflect the fact that people don't yet identify with with the region and could that change if if a mayor starts making visible differences to people didn't want a mayor um it's very interesting because i mean darlington had had um, a referendum on referendum on whether or not it wanted a mayor hartlepool had just chucked out Mm. their mayor they had a mayor previously middlesbrough have a mayor we've never had one here in redcar and cleveland stockton have never had one um, and, and I think people just didn't want something that they felt was being foisted on them. And there was a lot of antipathy towards uh, this whole concept that, that a, a, it was the Tees Valley, so it was the five together, and B, that there should be a single person taking a leadership role within the Tees Valley. So when we were knocking on doors in the early days, the first thing you had to get over was what was this election about? And then the second thing you had to get over was, this is why you need a mayor. And you used to say that it was about, as I say, growing the economy of the Tees Valley, getting us more jobs, etc., etc. And people can understand those arguments, but if you just said, would you vote for the mayor, they, they would, didn't want to engage mm-hmm. in that at all. That wasn't what they were interested in. They were interested in the opportunities for economic growth. And I think one of the reasons that Ben Houchin won, the Conservatives won, was because that interest um, or, that, or that antipathy to the to the process, if you like, was was exhibited more in the older population and older people tend to vote Tory, whereas younger people just didn't bother come out and coming out to vote. And I think I think we, we suffered from that as a result. Mm. And it's it's worth saying at this point that it was a very, very close election. You like you got you were within a percentage point, weren't you? It was very It was it was two thousand yeah. votes. It was um, hugely disappointing. We had Everything that we'd shown up until that point, um, although it was, we knew it was going to be hard. We didn't have, um, we didn't think we were going to going to lose. To be fair, I don't think Ben Houchin thought he was going to win either. <laughs> <laughs> he was heard to mutter something about that under his breath during the count. But um, you know that that was that was that was the way it was. The, reading your manifesto, I got a definite sense that you had a plan for what you wanted to do with the job. Mm-hmm. I couldn't read Ben Houchin's manifesto because he didn't have one. He just yeah. had a couple of eye-catching promises to garner headlines, which, to be fair, that worked quite well for him. But it was clear it felt like uh, he was trying to raise his profile rather than necessarily sort of like come up with a plan to govern the region for the next three years. I mean, he, he was very much doing a, um, I don't know, which almost a sort, sort of soundbite politics that seems to be so successful at the moment. So he, he, came, he came out on four themes, only three of which I think 
had any sort of resonance. Um, one was he was going to buy the airport, which is a big bugbear around here. You know, a Tory's going to um, nationalise an airport. It's just nonsense if you think about it, but it resonated. He's going to save the Parmo. I mean, I don't know if you know what the Parmo is, but it's a, no it's idea, a local yeah. dish that consists of a squashed bit of chicken with breadcrumbs on top of it, covered in bechamel sauce and then deep fried. So he was going to save that for what, us. Why is it under threat, exactly? Well, he, he thought it needed um, the same sort of state European, European status, interestingly, for such for somebody who's such a strong Brexiteer, it was European status that he was looking for, in much the same way as brie or, you know, one of, one oh, of these okay. other um, regional um, delicacies have. So, so that that was his second um, big thing. Um, he wanted to build a garden village, and um, which which could could be a, a sensible idea. I don't have a problem with that one. And um, he wanted a, a commission into Cleveland Police. And again, he 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 managed to plug in there to a, a degree of dissatisfaction around Cleveland Police because all police forces are suffering because of cuts due to austerity. Which and 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 Cleveland Police, of course, has had some additional issues as well. So, so so he ta- he tapped in very well to those sort of big issues. Whereas, whereas my manifesto, as you say, was well-planned. It was well-planned because as five Labour local authority leaders, we've been thinking about it for the last two, three years. You know, mm. This was our programme of activity that we were going to deliver through the devolution deal that was going to grow our economy, create jobs, and make sure that you know we were the place that we felt the Tees Valley could be. So basically, I, my, my, my plan replicated what the combined authority had been saying for the last numbers of years. So it didn't have these big startling headlines. Sort of half the way through the campaign, we did think a little bit about, you know, do I need to find a big startling headline? Like, I'm going to, I don't know, buy the port, perhaps. I don't know. But, but, but we decided no, because what this is about, this, this, is, this is about primarily about doing good business, about getting the improvements that we need. It's about our people who have consistently suffered at the expense of Tory government economic policy. And it's wrong, and we've got to do something about it, and that's what this was about for us. So we didn't go for those big starry headlines, and, and we lost out as a result. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Let's let's talk about the the, the region a bit more because mm. something. I mean, I, I I reread a lot of the coverage we did on the on on Tees Valley in the run up to the election, mm. and something that really leapt out at me is the subjects being discussed up here are not ones you hear a lot about in London. Mm. So so you know, manuf- uh, the steel industry is is clearly a huge local employer. There's lots of discussion of vocational skills and the way you don't tend to get mm. in much mm. of the conversation in Westminster. I think there was a point where you were asked about maybe uh, the, the idea for a Tees Valley Metro, and you said, "Well, actually, regulating the buses is probably more useful to us." You know, it just felt like it was this, these conversations are happening in sort of a very different world to the one that we sort of see in the national media all the time. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, is I know that, that that's that's absolutely the case. I mean, the, the most obvious one is housing, because obviously national policy is about housing, uh, building new, building more. Whereas I would say very much that what we need is investment in regeneration. We have a lot of um, low-value housing stock, particularly in the social sector, that just isn't popular, that isn't, we aren't able to let. Um, that needs to be cleared. There was something called the Housing Market Renewal Scheme um, numbers of years ago at the end of the last Labour government. That was abandoned when the Conservatives and the Coalition came in, and there's been virtually no investment in regeneration at all since then. So regeneration of our communities is hugely important to us. In terms of skills, you're right. We do not feel that the system that has encouraged everybody to go to university has served us well at all. Um, A lot of our jobs are technical jobs that require on-the-job training, that require technical skills, that require um, the sort of apprentices that we used to have numbers of years ago. And, you know, investment in that sort of technical education, it, it, again, just wasn't something that... um, successive governments, to be fair, have invested in. We've seen disinvestment in FE over the last numbers of years that has just really undermined um, the whole um, college offer that we're able to provide to our, our people. And I can remember going out on the streets of Darlington asking people, you know, when it comes to the school's agenda, what do they want? Do they want to be able to send their children to university or do they want them to get a good local education that enables them to get some good well-paid jobs locally that might not mean that they incur the debt that a university might and every single time it was about the technical education you know that that's that's what they were looking for and I think that's that's something we definitely need to work on and then in relation to transport I mean really interesting I mean there is no public subsidy going into our buses locally at all here in the Tees Valley. None whatsoever. Um, Local authorities have withdrawn their public subsidy because we just don't have enough money. So all our routes are just commercial commercial routes. So, you know, many of our communities just don't have good public transport service. And one of the things that the devolution deal did was it turned us into a transport authority for the first time. So in this budget that's just gone, the the one a couple of weeks ago, last week rather, um, we actually got for the first time some funding for public transport. So we got £58 million for public transport. So that's trains and buses. And we've, of course, now got the Buses Act and deregulation. So, you know, some really important opportunities there to do something about public transport that regardless of the mayor and what you might think of that solution means that money is coming in and we will have an opportunity to use that effectively and hopefully get some of those connectivity things on the move, which is really, really important. Going back to my point around, like, so many of the issues up here are ones that are just... London is a very different place. Mm -hmm. It's kind of being able to sort of focus on, on things that are not specific to this area, but like but that maybe don't make sense in the London context. Is this the benefit of, of a devolution deal? I, it is just like such a different... 
economic environment, I suppose, is the way it, I'm putting it's, it. It's hugely different. Mm. Um, and, you know, my, 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 when, when I wasn't doing regional policy, I, before that I was doing housing, and we've been saying for 20, 30 years, you know, that housing policy, London housing policy just does not recognise um, what's happening, particularly in the north of England. But that's true across a whole gamut of things. And the fact is that our centralised system means that not only is the money held in Westminster, but the policy that distributes that money is held in Westminster. And we've seen um, over the last numbers of years as local government, you know, that even those formulas that were distributing more to us because it recognised our disadvantage or whatever else are being replaced with formulas that are just about um, population. Um, and, and that means more and more we're losing um, funding and we're losing the opportunity to do the things that we know we need to do locally to get um, policy right and to get our, our, our communities and our areas working right. So, so yeah, that's what devolution is about to us. It, it, it's about, it doesn't tackle the, dis- the quantum of the distribution of the funding, but it does at least enable us, once we get the money, to push it in the right directions and ensure that it is tackling issues that we have as our priorities. Mind you, it's not always that easy, I have to say, because <laughs> there are departments of Whitehall that even when they give us the money aren't um, happy about us spending it in the way we might like. And there's lots and lots of checks and balances in the system. I mean, one of the examples of that is the adult education funding, which we've been... Um, it was in our original devolution deal. Um, we expected it last year. We expected it this year. We might get it in eighteen nineteen or nineteen twenty. But the Department for Education just does not want to let go of its money. It wants to hang on to it and carry on doing things itself, regardless of what um, what the devolution deal might say. Do you think that? I mean, we we, we often complain about this, the over centralised nature of the, the British state. But do you think that? has played a role in the the growth of the the north south divide. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um if you think about the regional development agencies which were a bit of policy intervention weren't there in the uh, you know 10 years ago. Um Regional development agencies were about addressing regional inequalities. So if you're going to address regional inequalities, why would you put a regional development agency in every single region of the country? Sure, you you would put them in the north and differentially invest in the north, and you wouldn't do it in the south because that was happening anyway. I mean, to me, that's just an an example of where government policy has insisted on producing a... A, you know, delivering right across the country in a blanket way, not differentiating sufficiently to enable or to ensure that the North has been able to grow in the way that it might have done. And a lot of that is about the pressure from, um, you know, Conservative MPs and their constituencies who insist on getting their fair share all the time, regardless of what it is. And, I mean, I haven't ever seen um, a government who's actually been able to t- tackle that as effectively as they might, to be perfectly honest. Mm. So what do you think the North has lost out on by not having these kind of powers to invest in its own future? Well, as I've already said, I mean, you just look at the way housing policies are operated, you look at the way um, investment in transport. I mean, what is it, 15 billion in, in the Elizabeth line for Crossrail, you yeah. know? And, and we've just got, you know, we, we need, we need um, what is it, 400 million for a new T's crossing? It's going to take, goodness, we would be lucky if we get it by 2027. You know, it's that sort of... Um, difference in terms of investment. You look at investment in culture, huge amounts go into London, very, very little into the north. 
um, by comparison, or transport I've mentioned, housing I've mentioned, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And, and also, I suppose, the, um, the lack of attention to industry. So we've had the industrial strategy today, the white paper um, being published, which is good, but it's taken a very long time to get there. Um, and of course, previously, there was all the concentration on the finance sector, the service sector. That's what we wanted to grow. That was where our future was going to be at the expense of, 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 of industry. And of course, our economy here um, is based very much on on the old style industries that have for a long time contributed hugely to GDP or GBA, but you know when they and, and when they've when they've faded out and when they haven't been successful because of lack of investment or lack of policy attention, you know nobody has come up and said, well, we need to do something about this. They've just said, well, you know, we're, we're going to carry on as before. It feels like even when we talk about this stuff, we kind of talk about the places that had old industries and have lost them. Mm. It's sort of quite striking to come up here and realise, oh, hang on, it's still huge here. Like you, yeah. can, it, you, you can still see it on the landscape. There's these steel mills everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't feel like we talk about that at all. We don't talk about places that still have industry. But our, mm. our industry still has huge potential to deliver um, for the um, for the UK economy, you know, the South Tees Development Corporation, which is the mayor- first mayoral development corporation that is going to be established on the site where the SSI steelworks were. Um, first of all, it's already got, still got steel steel happening there. So there's British Steel who are still um, manufacturing steel, well, not making steel, but doing things with steel. There's a huge port there. Um, there's Northumbrian Water. We're building one of the biggest power stations there at the moment, Biomass Power Station. We've got something called the Sirius Mine that is going to provide the fertiliser that will feed the world for the next 100 years that is about to bring... It's it you know which, which is going to dig out the um, polyhalite from under the North Sea and bring it down um, to the docks at the South Tees site. Um, we have a huge chemical um, industry on Wilton um, and on the on the north bank of the Tees as well. So you know it's not it, it it's every time we bring a government minister here, we take them up the river on a boat. We've got a boat. The, the PV ports um, kindly allow us to use when we have ministerial visits. <laughs> and we take them up the river. And, you know, you go up the river and you look and you go up to the mouth of the river and you turn round and you look back. And you look back at the scale of the in- industry that is the Tees Valley. And you, can, you cannot fail to be impressed by the potential that we have here, the existing industry that we have here, and, you know, the, the future that, that, if we just get the investment right, will, will definitely be of benefit for all, and, as I say, the UK economy as a whole. Do you think that metro mayors are going to help the Tees Valley and other regions kind of actually sort of pull the investment in and kind of actually take control of their destiny? Or they, I mean, do they have enough power to really make a difference? I think I think the power of the metro mayor sits in um, being a single point of contact for the area. So this idea that you know, if you want to speak to the Tees Valley, who do you speak to? Well, you can pick up the phone and talk to the mayor. I think as well, as I say, that it opens doors. So we sit at the table with the Manchester, the Liverpools, the Londons. You know, that's already happening um, in relation to the Brexit negotiations, for example. The mayor has already been involved in some early conversations about that, although we, we want much more from that. And also, um, if we're going to go out and attract new inward investment, you know, the idea of the Tees Valley 
um, sending a single person out on some sort of trade mission or, or whatever else just just wouldn't have been comprehensible before. But it, it is um, much more the case now and, and will be happening. So I just I just think that it's not so much about the the powers because the powers are about the devolution powers we will work on and we will get more of. But I think in terms of the individual mayor. It's about having that figurehead, having that personality and having somebody who can say, we are the Tees Valley, we're here, we matter and, you know, we've got a coherent argument, you can't forget about us anymore, which I think is what's happened in the past. I mean, it was very striking in the recent budget that there is specifically money set aside for all the regions that now have metro mayors for transport. Mm -hmm. Those cities that didn't get metro mayors are going to have to sort of fight it out to get their share. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely and you know that to me was one example that told me that even though I lost the mayoral election the fact that we went for a metro mayor and a devolution deal was the right thing to do because what it's meant is we have attracted more funding to the Tees Valley and more will come as well and that's not about conservative government rewarding a conservative mayor it's actually about the um, structure of devolution that allows that money to flow to places like the Tees Valley and gives us the responsibility and the ability to be able to use that money most effectively locally. So the obvious question is, do you think those cities that didn't get mayors are, are in danger of losing out and getting left behind? Uh, I think if you ask them that question, I think some of them would say yes. And I think there is um, a big debate to be had about whether or not it should now be a model that's on offer and available to everybody because there was definitely a slowdown in numbers of devolution deals. We've seen a couple more, haven't we, in this budget? There's the North of Tyne one. And I think Sheffield is still meant to be Sheffield's going through. Sheffield's still thinking. I, I still don't think it's kind of quite clear what the geography is. No. But I think it is most of the old South Yorkshire is going to be in there, whether they like it or not. Yeah. But I'm not sure, sure of that. Yeah, but. and I think there's something to do with the Cumbria and the borders as well, isn't there? Oh, I missed that one. That's exciting. Oh, right. A whole new deal I didn't know about. Oh, perhaps, I, perhaps I've made that up then. Perhaps I dreamt <laughs> about, I dream about devolution. No, I don't dream about devolution deals. But, um, but, but I know, you know, I have um, colleagues who said to me, you know, you did well getting there in that first crunch. And people still aren't happy about the concept of devolution and elective mayors. But people recognise that in this time of austerity and cuts, you've got to do everything that you can to secure as much investment for the areas you represent. And at the moment, if that's the game in town, that's what we should go for. And, you know, I think, I think people who aren't there aren't happy about not being there now sometimes. I think also, I mean, my reading is people in London hate politicians just as much as people anywhere else. But they, <laughs> it would never occur to anyone to talk about scrapping the mayor now. No, no. Because no. after, you know, 17 years, it's such an established part of the city life. And, you know, people are used to having that figurehead, even if it's someone they don't like a lot of the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, the way our constitution is written as in our devolution deal, and this could be true for any other devolution deal, the mayor, of course, has power. But they have limited power to act independently. They have to be part of a consensus. They have to be a part, in our case, of a cross-party consensus. And in some ways, that's a better way to get things done sometimes, isn't it? I mean, Andy Burnham has made it very clear that he doesn't see it as a party political role. He sees it very much as a, as a role about leading and pulling um, communities and people together. And I think that's how it should be seen not as a political role, but as a figurehead role. And if you look at the states, I think to an extent that's how they've used mayor there. You know, they talk about the soft power of mayors, don't they, and mm -hmm. how that can be, be used to influence and to secure partnerships and to enable networks.
networks and do business that way. And I think that's that that's very much the role I see for Ahmed. So I'm, I'm going to ask you a difficult one now. Do you think that Ben Houchin is growing into the role at all? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I think the role might be growing, and and the role is growing, and the role is being more. Um, acknowledged by the people of the Tees Valley. So when the 2020 elections come round, um, they, I don't think there'll be the same reticence to vote. I think there'll be much better turnouts because I think people will be much more engaged in the process and having the mayor. Is Ben growing into the role? I think you'd have to ask Ben that. (laughs) <laughs> I, 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 other than it's always nice to have a sort of narrative about, you know, all right, we're always coming back together. No, I, I saw, I was at a Conservative Party conference and they did a panel discussion of, of the, what one may term their sort of minor mayor. So Andy Street got his own slot because he's the, he's the, 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 the one they really like. But, but so, so Ben Houch and James Palmer and Tim Bowles uh, did a panel together. And I have to say that of the three of them, Houch was the one who, he said stuff that I was, more impressed by than I expected to be, given like he's, as we said earlier, like I, I kind of thought that his campaign was deeply silly, but he sounded much more like a guy who had given some thought to what he was actually going to do. Now he had the job. I don't know. That's the thing. I, I cannot imagine that you would take on a job um, that you had to deliver over the next three years with the eyes of the Tory party looking on you because you inevitably are going to be a focus of their attention. I think it was the Guardian headline the other day that, that put him as one of the second most important Tories outside of London mm. the other day there. So there he is. He's got all, the, all, this, um, all these spotlights on him. So I'm sure he'll want to do a good job. Will that make him a good mayor? Who's to say? I, I, I personally believe that the Tees Valley needs a Labour mayor if it is going to be as successful as it can be because it is a Labour mayor that is able to secure the consensus going forward. I mean, one of the things that's characterised Ben's first six months is his need to promote himself as a Conservative and as Ben Houchin as opposed to wanting to do the consensus stuff. And I think ultimately that's going to let him down. Also, it does seem plausible that it's only two and a half years to the next election. It's a short term. It's yes. three years this yeah, time around. Yeah, yeah. The world changed quite radically, it felt. The political world changed quite radically, surprisingly quickly after those elections. Yes. It now feels like the next one is likely to be a much easier yes. play for Labour. Yes. So it does feel like it should be it should be Labour's to lose this time around. We wouldn't take anything for granted. Who's to say where we're going to be by 2020? But, you know, Labour is in a completely different place to what it was when my election took place. Um, I think the whole economy of the country is in a different place as well. The external threats are different. The policy context with Brexit is different. Everything is really different. And by 2020, it'll be even more different again. So I'm certain that we will have a strong campaign, that we will fight at that time, and that, yes, we'll have a good chance of winning. Okay, well, fingers crossed, and we look forward to seeing your 2020 campaign. Thank you very much indeed. So, yeah, life has life has taken me to a place where I would go to the other end of the country to record an interview with someone who who is not the mayor. Um, but. It, <laughs> 
But seriously, thank you. Thank you to Sue for, for agreeing to talk to me, for giving me the time. She was absolutely charming. It was remarkably good-humoured uh, about a strange man emailing her one day and saying, I've accidentally turned you into a meme. Would you like to appear on my podcast? Which is, you know, that must be a pretty terrifying email for a, for a local politician to receive. So, you know, <laughs> so thanks, thanks, Sue, for being, being such good sport. Um, while I'm at it, I had a, a nice day out. I got to go to... To Teesside, where I've never been before. I went to briefly potter around Middlesbrough, uh, where they've got the Transporter Bridge. If, if you don't know what the Middlesbrough Transporter Bridge is, then you should, I suggest you look it up right now. It's amazing. It's this bridge that, instead of being like a permanent road, it kind of uses this sort of platform, which it pulls up and down by pulleys, which is, you know, it's, it's loads of fun if you like a bridge. And I'm, I'm personally a big fan of the, of the bridge. And yeah, I went to, to Redcar to see Sue, and I wandered up the Esplanade. And then after that, on the way home, I was uh, trying to arrange a drink with uh, a, a, one of our regular writers, a, a guy called Chris Sharp. And he said, why don't you Why don't you come see me in York? And I've not been to York either, so I wandered around York for a couple of hours. And yeah, all, all in all, I did six trains, and it's another two cities off the, the list. I'm trying to gradually work my way through all the cities in the Centre for Cities database. I've done about half, but if, you're, if you are listening in Newcastle or Portsmouth or Leicester or Huddersfield or Swansea, or, I'm going to stop reading the list out. But if, you, if you're listening in one of the cities I haven't done, then you know, do, do give me a shout, because it'd be good to have an excuse to go, go see somewhere else. And I realise at this point I'm really, just, I'm really just bragging about my day out, aren't I? Which is not... Which is not that cool. I'll stop now. As I say, this was originally going to be a Christmas special, but it's not. It's not as if Tees Valley is like the most Christmassy place on earth. We do have we do have other plans for uh, for Christmas special, which Steph's going to come back for. So that should be fun. One last bit of housekeeping before we wrap up. I've had a couple of emails after our, our our guest presenter slot the other day. I've had a couple of emails asking if I was serious about other people being able to contribute with their own. Uh, interviewees and so on and just to be clear yep absolutely serious if that's something you want to do uh, and you've got interesting people to talk to then then get in touch because well it's you know it's less less time for me in the office and more time i can get out to visit swansea or stoke or preston or wakefield or wigan or doncaster or sunderland or we'll see you next time When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.